0: Hope you know that like literally no matter what we say here uh, you cannot stop me from making the cold open about kofi kingston
1: that's fine i it's fine
0: <laughs> we here on stbc podcasts are kofi kingston marks and that's just the truth
1: What's up, you ghouls and fools who are too cool for school? Bad, that is a bad intro. I'm no. sorry. Listen, it was that or badass mother suckers. So, I
0: don't know which I prefer.
1: I honestly, that's fair. They're both bad. Uh, welcome back once again to Summer Twilight Book Club, the podcast where your two best friends swiftly make themselves your worst enemies by subjecting you to roughly an hour of sexy but constantly infuriating teenage vampire romance each week, courtesy of both Stephanie Meyer and our hard won social work degrees, which are being used in a way that I am sure neither Jane Addams nor <coughs> our parents ever intended. I'm Solana. Parents- uh, What's and I'm up? not.
0: I'm Kat. Sorry, that's Sahana. I talked over her because who cares what Jane Addams thinks? Not me. Fuck Jane Addams. Anyway. Fuck that white lady. Uh, what are we doing this week? Uh, this week, week uh, we're here to take you through chapters uh, three and four of the book. Um, you know, which is a lot, just by the way. Uh, which so are really much. the parts that kickstarted Sahana's melodramatic teenage emo fucking phase.
1: You are correct about so, it. So chapters three
0: and four of New Moon. Sorry, I don't think
1: I even said that. So, before we jump into New Moon, we actually want to take a second to shout out some of our amazing listeners. Yes! Uh, Because some of y'all have truly gone above and beyond uh, for us on the Twitter, Um, and so in particular, you all might remember that last week I asked if anyone listening was a meteorologist or some kind of adjacent scientist, um, because we wanted somebody to explain to us the science of vampire sparkles and cloud cover. Um, And God bless Alice Kyra. Um, at Magical Kyla on Kyra on Twitter, um, because she did precisely that. I'm actually just it gonna go ahead so and good. read this whole thread because it's fucking amazing. And she did an impressively thorough job researching this. Um, uh, so here we go. She says, at STBC Podcast, I'm not a meteorologist, astrophysicist, or vampirologist, but I do have access to Google and thus boy does an amount of questionably accurate information. The first distinction I focused on is that twilight vampires sparkle in the sunlight, but not in the moonlight. A cursory search informs me that the primary differences between sun and moonlight is that moonlight is more diffused and does not contain UV rays, because presumably they're all absorbed by moon rocks. With this information, (laughs) I then looked into how effective clouds are at blocking UV rays. With mixed success in results, most sources state that clouds will only block about 20% of UV rays at best, and a few caution that partial cloud cover may actually scatter UV rays in a way that increases exposure to them, so you have to wear sunscreen even when it's cloudy, which is something that you said last week, which is why we are in this predicament of not knowing, but she continues to say, Twilight's brand of vampires, Sanguinarius Myeri layer of photoreactive cells in their skin that, when exposed to adequate amounts of specifically UVB rays, create a scintillating effect. Forks, Washington, provides enough cloud cover upon a regular basis that the UVB rays are weak enough that the sparkling is kept to such a low level that the uninitiated will dismiss as stray bits of glitter if they notice at all. (laughs) Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Please read... Magic Ex Libris, where I borrowed the term sanguinarius Mairi from.
0: Like the, the stray oh. glitter, like they're wearing the Fenty, like, highlighter or something.
1: <laughs> Listen, this weekend I made a friend with a girl at a club, like, three minutes after walking in because wait, Rihanna wait, was Wait, wait, what's that,
0: what's that tweet? Nobody's straight at the club, grow up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you made a gal pal at the club. I made a friend at the club, uh, who is a friend of Someone help me cl-
0: turn Sahana gay.
1: <laughs> Honestly, it might be for the best. Um, but I made a friend with a girl at the club because we were both wearing Fenty highlighter and Rihanna was playing when we walked in.
0: That sounds so. like you just had a lesbian experience.
1: Is that what that is?
0: <laughs> That's what being gay is, haven't I been telling you? <laughs> That's amazing. Why do you think I'm so gay? <laughs>
1: I have to rethink some things. Uh, Honestly, we cannot we cannot thank you enough
0: for your service. That was amazing. So the other thing actually wasn't one of our <laughs> listeners. This was just someone I randomly found. So like Uh-oh. we're not the only one who associate Bella with khaki skirts, y'all. Because some random fucking assholes, not assholes, lovely
1: fucking humans. <laughs> we someone use okay. asshole in the most endearing way. Okay, possible. so
0: someone <laughs> tweets, "Uh, looks so nasty in those khakis." Is definitely up for worst lyric. This is, uh, at Ghostlores, who tweeted that. Uh, at Lindsay Gunn that's Lindsay with an A, G, G, U, N, N. Um, responds to this, it goes, Bella Swan wrote that. To which uh, Ghost Lords goes, Bella Swan wrote Spring Awakening, wig, and I fucking laughed so hard. But okay, one of the best parts about this part, Sahana, is I don't know if you remember that song well enough to remember who says that line, but it's fucking Jonathan B. Wright from our high school. It's Jonathan B. Wright who we went to high school with. So the fucking person who says that line literally, like in the Broadway fucking musical Spring Awakening, the actor who played and went to our high school with my brother, he did not like my brother. <laughs> he, in fact, hated my brother because he was really good friends <laughs> with his ex-girlfriend. Um, Jonathan B. Wright. Who you might know from such wonderful movies as Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, or that other or one with been, Michael he's
1: in youth revolt? Yeah, you can revolt.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> one.
1: I feel like so nasty is, in those khakis, it's really absolutely the most that anyone has discussed uh, his career in years. I'm sure.
0: Anyways, I fucking died when I read that <laughs> tweet. I died even harder than I died at a. Um. What's I have to look this up? Our Twitter is fucking lit, y'all. Stbc podcast.
1: Listen, we find you're the not best shit us on Twitter. You're missing the fuck out. Yeah, also, I Marachi, would like to say... underscore. Wait.
0: At Marachi underscore time tweeted. Edward Cullen smells like Mountain Dew. Baja blast. <laughs> 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 Which means that, I feel like that also means, like, someone else paid attention to the sexy breath that us, because this isn't a listener either. Why aren't these people listening to our podcast?
1: I, okay, four different people this week yes! on Twitter have sent oh, us- Oh, I got texted it, too. The, yeah, I think someone texted it to me also, but, like- At least, so between the two of us, I cannot imagine how many people, but so many people- Everyone
0: we've ever dated has sent this to
1: us. Has sent us the Jabuki tweet from earlier this week uh, with the, like, uh, one man kicking another man off the porch meme and the guy kicking is Twilight New Moon and the person being kicked is Citizen Kane. Uh, I bet it's really fun for all of you listening to this audio medium to listen to me verbally describe a meme.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyways, everyone in their mom said that to us, and we really appreciate it. But what I appreciate more is the news that came out this week that uh, Robert Pattinson like looked back at the Twilight movies, and he was like, "Yeah, it was just really intense at the time, like kind of scary, but now it's kind of nice because people all have these like cool stories about it." Also, the soundtracks rip. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we don't deserve Robert Pattinson. We should start. So let's talk about uh, last week. Some stuff happened. You're probably guessing. The first two chapters of Twilight New Moon happened, in fact. And in them, uh, here's what happened. Uh, sigh. It was her birthday. <laughs> um, uh, And uh, Sabella's birthday was happening. And everyone threw her party and she wasn't into it. And at the party she was opening a present and she got a paper cut because she's a clumsy bitch. Uh and not because it's the normal thing to do. Um and like Jasper reacted in a fun murdery way. He was like, Oh, blood? I'm into it. Let me let me eat her. Uh, exactly like that. And Edward was <laughs> like, Nah, bro. In fact you cannot.
1: Can't eat my girlfriend. It's her birthday. Please please don't eat my girlfriend because it is her birthday. No other reason. And then,
0: uh, and then Edward, for no reason, just pushed Bella over into a glass table. I think, uh, and no. also a cake. And also a cake. And, uh, there was another tweet, and I'm not even looking it up to see who this was. Just go to our fucking Twitter, and it's, like, someone laying out a birthday cake, and it says Bella on her 18th <laughs> birthday. <laughs> <laughs> it's People are good. on
1: fire on Twitter this week. Twitter's good, actually. <laughs> Um, I, I bet everybody listening to this episode is really excited to just hear us talk about how good our Twitter is. <laughs> it's not even us who's good on it, though. just other
0: people that we're just yeah. curating for you. All right. Um, okay, so anyways, what so, else happened last so week? So she got pushed into some glass, and then she got some stitches, and then Edward kissed her, but the kiss seemed pretty suspicious. Like, maybe- That's pretty much it. Like, maybe it was a goodbye, but let's not worry
1: about it. It's probably fine. Uh um, chapter, th- chapter three. So I would like to start by saying that chapter three of New Moon has what is supposed to be, I think, a very ominous title. Um, but considering that this book is over 500 fucking pages <laughs> long, the end doesn't really carry the weight that it's supposed to. Like, come on, Stephanie, we all know that you're lying to us. Um, because obviously there's so much more of this book that it makes me want to die a little bit. Um, the other thing that I want to say is that this chapter is 40 fucking pages long. Oh my god. It is 40 pages long, which is bananas considering how little truly happens in this chapter in terms of, like, important plot. Um, like, I don't know, writing the summary or, like, rereading my notes for this chapter, I felt very this meeting could have been an email about this. Um, but I love you all very much, so I'm just gonna suffer through it, and you're gonna have to suffer with me. So here we go. Um, so this chapter opens the morning after Bella's birthday party, about which Bella is still extremely in her feelings. Um, And she says that she notices that something is kind of off about Edward and the way that he's now interacting with her. And she can't shake the feeling of panic that something is wrong or that, like, something bad is going to happen. And honestly, this might be the moment where I have so far found Bella the most relatable. Yes. Because as a person who experiences, like, a really intense amount of anxiety about relationships, uh, which I'm sure that Katie can attest to, both about me and about themselves, um, this is truly the most sympathetic that I have ever found found Bella's character um Mm -hmm. like she starts simultaneously catastrophizing and trying to rationalize why Edward might be acting like this and then she says that she hates that she suddenly feels unsure and insecure about our relationship which honestly felt a little too real for me yeah I definitely (laughs) heard you
0: literally say
1: those words to me when I was doing this part I was like Bella needs one just to
0: fucking communicate. Like, maybe talk yep. about how you're feeling. And then two, I was thinking about that thing that my therapist had given me, where, like, in one, first you write out what you think happened. Yep. And why. yeah. And then the next thing you do is you write out other possible solutions. And it could yep. be good ones or bad ones. It could be, like, everyone hates me. So it could be, like, okay, what I think happened. Um, Edward is a little upset that his brother tried to eat me. <laughs> um, What else could yeah. happen? Edward thinks I suck. And which has Jasper had eaten me? Um, or maybe Edward has a cold. <laughs> Edward has the flu. Edward's tongue got ripped out. Do you um, think- The demon Finn Balor attacked Edward. Can I tell you something? Kofi Kingston did a, uh <laughs> never
1: mind. Hold on, I need, to, I need to say one thing to you about Finn Balor. Wait, you have something so- to say to me about Finn Balor? Yes. Wait, which what? Is that, <laughs> the thing that I have to say to you about Finn Balor is that I am now aware of this, like, uh, is he the devil? The demon? Whatever
0: he is. The demon Finn Balor.
1: Yeah, so he Sometimes, came out- Sometimes, not
0: always. Sometimes
1: he just, it, like, has whatever. on, has a nice- That ball. face paint- That face paint makes him look like Darth Maul. Uh, of course, yeah. And <laughs> And I said, I feel like- I feel like I'm watching uh, The Phantom Menace the musical.
0: <laughs> I bet he'd be really good at it.
1: Um, I don't know if Finn Balor can sing, but in my head, he can. It is beautiful. <laughs> um, so anyway, what you were talking about is... Um, like, a very traditional, uh, tool in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is called thought challenging, where you, like, try to acknowledge that the catastrophizing thoughts that you're having are, like, not actually likely to occur by, like, actually taking time to conjure up every available alternative and then assessing what the evidence that you have for and against each of those thoughts are. So, Which, just by the way,
0: in case anyone of you are wondering if this is going to be, like, a funny episode, it's not... (laughs)
1: This episode is gonna get so clinical, which is gonna be really exciting for approximately three people. Yeah,
0: like, I don't know exactly what Sahana's thoughts are on a lot of this, um... But I do know, like, I was just reading it, and I was like, well, we have to talk about that. Mm. I'm reading it, and I'm like, well, we have to talk about ambiguous loss. We have to talk <laughs> about fucking trauma responses. Have we talked oh, about yeah. triggers
1: yet? Like, You're going to hear me say the word amygdala so many times in this episode, you guys. Okay. So, um, anyway... We, uh, hear from Bella that neither of the other Colin siblings are at lunch when she's at school. Um, Edward tells Bella that Alice is with Jasper, um, and is, like, trying to help him calm down, um, and is trying to convince him that he should go to Denali to hang out with the other vegetarian vampires. So, after school, Bella goes to work, um, and she's unsettled to find Edward's car in her driveway, um, she walks inside and she hears what she describes as the distinctive theme music from ESPN Sports Center, which I didn't know was a thing. Is that music distinctive? Do you watch Sports Center? What?
0: No. Of course I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: know. I um, watch two sports, and they are one of them's <laughs> not even a sport.
0: It's sports entertainment, and the other one is ice skating.
1: Yeah, and I watch okay. that in clips on YouTube. So, so what I'm hearing is that neither of us are familiar with SportsCenter. I think it's like da 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 or something like that. Is that football? Is it like Friday <laughs> night football or Monday night football or something?
0: Someone out, uh, one listener out there is fucking killing themselves right now. <laughs>
1: know what day football is on you can't expect me to know these things um anyways so she finds edward hanging out with charlie um, which is uncharacteristic because it's one of the few people with any sense in this franchise charlie is not the biggest fan of edward um so but, but also Bella, like he doesn't do
0: anything about it is this just like a normal thing that occurs like edward like just comes pan. over and watches sports center with charlie <laughs> before she gets home
1: well, yeah, well, she does say that it's weird, but no, like, Charlie doesn't find it weird enough to do anything about it, I guess. Um, so, Bella continues No, she only to- says
0: it's weird that Edward's paying attention. Oh. She implies <laughs> that this happens all the time, but that normally, Edward's not really
1: paying attention.
0: <laughs>
1: Great. So, Bella, um... Continues to catastrophize and she's playing the what's the worst that can happen versus what's the worst I can live through game which yikes Um, and as she's doing that she assumes that Edward is going to want them to leave Forks like that's the conclusion that she's come to that Edward is going to want them to leave town because of what happened at the party and that because of that she might not ever see her parents again. Um, and she assumes that the logical response to this is just to start haphazardly taking pictures of everything because she decides she needs to document forks before she leaves it because that's what she thinks is going to happen. Which, um, like, I don't even have time to get into. That was no, just very baffling. I, I well, you know, there's too much there to unpack. Um, so Bella's obsessively taking pictures of Charlie. She takes pictures of Edward. She's taking pictures of, like, her room and the house. Um, she even gets Charlie to take one of her and Edward together, and as she's doing this, she notices that there's something really off about the way that he's talking to her and interacting with her. Um, like, even the way that he puts her arm around her, she says, is weird, and then eventually he tells her that he's not going to stay the night like he normally does. Um, and this is the point where I start to find it really weird that Bella's immediate assumption is that she and Edward are gonna leave together and not that he's upset with her or gonna break up with her.
0: I think it's just um, cause she just can't like think she can't bring herself to think about that. But what I maybe. found confusing was the idea that like she thinks that Edward's upset because it's like family scattering, like because Edward mm-hmm. like like first she drove away Rosalie and Emmett and now she's driving away Alice and Jasper. But I don't get how she would think, well the response to that is we should just leave. Like yeah, he's not upset like, about his family yeah, like, he's not upset about his family, I wouldn't think, having to leave their homes, which is he's upset about them all being separated, if that's her line of thinking. But I didn't really understand that. But also, I do want to say one thing before we move on from the photos, because there's mm-hmm. a really cute part, actually, where she has Edward take one of her and Charlie. Oh. Or no, she takes oh, one of. She like takes that. one of Charlie, or she either she takes one of Charlie, or she gets ever two, and he's like, "Why are you taking pictures of me?" And she's like, "Cause you're so handsome." And I thought that was so <laughs> cute. It was, was really One silly. brief moment of levity in whatever this mess is. It was just like, oh, she loves Charlie. Maybe actually. And then I could, and then maybe. I was envisioning, like, this happening frequently, like, she comes home and they pretend to watch SportsCenter and they just kinda, like, smile at each other and she has a nice time with her dad and her boyfriend. And for a moment I was like, maybe this is what this summer was. Was just, like, these nice domestic moments. Maybe oh, Everett yeah. wasn't a yeah, prick. because
1: we still don't know what her- She said in the first chapter that she had the best summer anyone anywhere has ever had, but we never hear about what it was. And
0: I could see Debella Swan, like, as much as she's a dumb bitch, and as much as she doesn't care about a lot of people, I could truly honestly see her ideal summer being just, like, hanging out with her dad and her boyfriend, making them dinner, just being present with them while they watch SportsCenter Center, and she just like reads a book or something. I could see that being to her like an ideal time. Man, it makes me so sad. <laughs> it's really upsetting. Like it doesn't uh, make me upset. Like it doesn't make me upset that that's her ideal because like that sounds pleasant. Like that can yeah, be a happy but life. Just, like, it makes me upset that like what her actual life is. God,
1: oh, what happens next?
0: Um, like I don't know. He just like ignores her so edward just like ignores her the whole next day at school like and he doesn't give her any idea of like how he's feeling or what's going on which is like such a subtle but like fucked up way to manipulate someone's emotions and make them feel like they've done something wrong like there's something genuinely sad about the moment where bella looks at the picture of edward she took and she says that he's like staring at me with warm eyes and missed for the past few days um and like but like, this part, like, really bothered me, like, how Edward treats her, because it's so, like, reminiscent of, like, so many situations I've been in, where, I like, I have been, like, something happened, something really bad, and like, then, like, just, like, no communication about it, complete shutout. Like, that felt, like, such an honest, like, honestly, like, Meyer does a really bad job of a lot of things, but, like. I feel like she does, like, a really good job of certain random things. And, like, a lot of it has to do with, the kind of, like, how teenagers react to shit. And I feel like just, like, a teenage boy shutting down and not communicating at all in this way seems, like,
1: very spot yes. Absolutely. Um, and I think that, like, I don't know. I think that also says something about, like, Edward's level of emotional maturity. Which, which I have a
0: theory in- about. Which I also put on the Twitter. <laughs> And I think it's a good theory. Sorry I I cut you off. Okay, so my theory is that okay, because Everett died at 17, his brain stopped developing and he stopped being able like the synapses stopped fucking going, you know, like he stopped being able to make like new connections or whatever, so his brain would not be literally able to adapt and mature. So maybe that's why these vampires all seem so fucking shitty. Like, because Alice also seems really immature. Like, I like Alice because I'm gay. But, like, (laughs) she's super immature. Like, and she also, like, died pretty young. And, like, I know, that Colin did, but Colin grew up at just, like, such a different time period. Do you mean Carlisle? I do. I always say Colin. (laughs) I always say Colin
1: when I mean Carlisle. Because that that was going to be my question, is that Carlisle does seem, like, pretty like adult and mature and like together but maybe you're right he also like was raised in a very sort of like conservative religious environment
0: well and just way
1: longer ago like adolescence hadn't been a thing yet um so what what happens next
0: okay so finally after like three days of waiting uh everard's ready to talk i guess because everything's gonna work on his time schedule Uh, more relatable anxiety feelings here. Uh, Bella's been waiting for like three days to finally get a chance to talk to Edward about what the fuck is going on. But as soon as he actually takes her to talk about it, she just is like in a panic that's choking her because of course you are because he's communicated nothing to you. And if no one communicates to you, you're going to panic. So Edward takes her out into the woods because like that's (laughs) apparently where he stages all this emotionally heavy conversation. It's like... Anyways, so then we finally arrive at the fateful scene that the chapter title comes from.
1: So, this scene fucking wrecked me as a teenager. Uh, yeah. uh-huh. like, it just destroyed me emotionally. Um, I was honestly still kind of, like, hesitant to read it this time around, because I remembered how much it fucked me up, um, as a yeah. very naive, impressionable teenager, um, so I'm gonna try to run us through this as quickly as possible because to be honest, this chapter already feels like a slog and there is still so much to go. Um, so Edward starts this conversation by saying, We're leaving. Which also, um, by the
0: way, he walks into the woods like three feet and then stops. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, they take like three steps. Um so Edward says, We're leaving. Um, And Bella initially misinterprets this to mean that she and Edward are leaving, um, which is what she's been thinking for the last couple of days. But she pretty quickly realizes that he means himself and the rest of the vampire Brady Bunch. Um, (laughs) So Bella tries to convince him that she should go too. And they have their usual, like, I'm not good for you, but you promise to never leave me argument. Um, Bella thinks that this has to do with Edward not wanting to take her soul, which is the conversation that she had had with Carlisle um in chapter two this highlights how, uh, how she, little they
0: communicate because they have all this like they are not understanding each other at all
1: no so bella says that he can have her soul because she doesn't want it without him and it's his already um and edward then realizes that the only way to get her to stop is to tell her that he doesn't want her and doesn't love her anymore um, Which is real fucked up. So Bella seems to recognize that there's something disingenuous about this when he says it. Because she says that she starts sifting through the words for their real intent. Um, But essentially she decides to just sort of emotionally numb out and accept it. So Edward tells her that he's not good for her. He can't keep pretending to be something he's not. Um, He makes her promise not to do anything reckless or hurt herself. Um, And then tells her that time heals all wounds, promises she'll never see him again, and that it'll be as if he never existed. And then he kisses her on the forehead and runs off into the woods. And that is it. That is how he makes his exit for Bella Swan's life. Uh, And I think the thing that strikes me most about reading this um, is how fucking melodramatic the whole thing is. Considering mm-hmm. the fact that Bella and Edward have been dating for less than a year. Like, I feel like I need to constantly remind myself that everything that has happened up until this point in this franchise has taken place over the course of less than 12 months. Um, but then I guess at the same time, I think back to how a year seemed like an eternity for a relationship when we were in middle school and high school. And oh so I God, guess, yeah. like, these fe- this, like, level of intensity of feeling made sense to me when I read it, like, as a teenager. Yeah. Um, but I'm also really curious to hear, like, what your experience for reading scene was like. It was, like, I
0: don't know. I know that as, like, a teenager, I was, like, super upset during this part. Like, I felt that. But I was just, like, heartbroken. I was like, oh, my God. And, like, I couldn't handle it. And I was, like, also just, like, so shocked. I was like, well, what's going to happen? And, like, this is so tragic in, like, a year. And I th- like it's such a, it was a long time because I, I think I read this, you know, freshman or sophomore year of high school, and so I had been in a relationship that was like nine, ten months that had ended, and mm-hmm. that felt like unbelievably long, and mm-hmm. I was like devastated when that ended. So like that really did track for me. Like now a year doesn't feel like a lot, but right, it really, really did. But when I was rereading it now, honestly, I felt like nothing. Yeah, I just felt nothing. Same. I mostly felt I mad. Been- I felt mad that like Edward was like, "You can't." Like he stopped Alice from saying goodbye because he thought right that, like, a clean break would be better. And I was like, "You prick! You can't fucking decide this shit." Right. And then, but my main thought was actually just like a meta thought, not about the what was happening in the book, but just like the writing of it. And I was mm-hmm. just like, I can't believe, you know, like this was like actually like a bold ass move, like. This franchise yeah. continued strong after Twilight because these publishers and Meyer took a fucking risk. They right. took they took a book that a franchise that or they're trying to make a franchise. They took a book that the main appeal was this fucking vampire dick, and they took that element out of it early on, relatively speaking, and then said you're like, and then we're brave enough to fucking do that and commit to it. And that was my main thought. I honestly was like, that's kind of fucking impressive. Like, I think it's a for, bold move. like I For Meyer to be able to get publishers to get behind her taking out the main character? Like, other than I, Bella?
1: And I think that, honestly, that really speaks to the like how tight of a hold this franchise had on us. Because, like, I, as a teenager, uh will admit that I read these books primarily for Edward. And so I remember, like, when this book came out and I realized that they were legitimately going to take him out within the first three chapters, I was so mad. I was so mad. But I kept fucking reading.
0: Yeah. They they were compelling. They don't feel compelling to me now. And I find, like, no. it's just so hard for me to connect. And I don't think I realized how far I am from who I was as a teenager until I was reading this part. Oh, yeah. It For was sure. truly this part. Like, the previous book, like, whatever. But this book, like, I remember reading New Moon and being hooked. Like, hu- not New Moon, Twilight being hooked. But I remember reading New Moon and being emotionally devastated the entire yes. time. So Same. reading this and just being completely flat on it. I truly thought before we read this book that I might cry. I might get upset. Like, I thought it would still hit. I didn't think it would hit as hard. But I thought it would still hit. And it doesn't. And I, I'm just wildly different than I used to be.
1: And I think that, like... I don't know I feel like I'm like really appreciative of that kind of emotional maturity for both of us because yeah as I was reading this part of this book I really like I said I was apprehensive going into it I was like I don't know what it's gonna feel for me to read this like really what felt like a very like devastating breakup scene and also I will say that I read this breakup scene before I had ever been in a relationship so I had nothing to compare it to and I was like oh my god like every relationship is going to feel like this intense and powerful and painful and I reread this a week ago and I just was annoyed all I felt the whole time I was reading this part of this book was annoyance yeah and I it was wild, uh, yeah.
0: So Edward, yeah. So anyway, so Edward literally like shatters poor Isabel Swan's heart, and then goes careening off into the woods without like even offering to walk her back to her house, waiting to make sure she gets back or anything. And Bella, still like the dumbest bitch alive, uh, promptly attempts to follow him, forgetting that he's a superhuman undead dick who can run at light speed. Uh, she trips on something in the woods and then just lays there on the ground for hours, dissociating. And I do have to say here, this was one thing I thought about too, where like, I was like, God, this is so dramatic. But then also like when me and my like very abusive ex broke up, uh, freshman year of college, I felt a lot like this because that's what abusive relationships do to you. They make you feel things so extremely. Like when we broke up or we're getting close to breaking up, I thought I was going to literally die. Like I remember laying in a cold car in like, or like around this time period maybe and it was fucking cold and i just slept in a car like at 40 degrees like in the woods and that felt normal to me like i mean it didn't feel good i felt devastated and miserable but like i had these kind of reactions because this is what happens when you're in an abusive relationship
1: like i think that yeah there are parts of sometimes there are parts of This book where Bella's reactions to things feel really overdramatic and exaggerated. And then sometimes there are things that do feel really intense, but their intensity is based in reality. Because this relationship is so manipulative and controlling that it makes sense that her response to this is is just, like, complete immobility. Yeah.
0: So, anyways... Um, Then at one point as she's laying there, she notices that the sky is black and wonders if it must be because there's a new moon. And then we all collectively groan because she did the thing. Anyways. um, uh, So she starts to hear people calling for her, um, but she can't get herself to get up or respond. uh, Which leads me to believe that Bella is experiencing a freeze response to trauma. Like, I don't know, like, do you want to, I don't think I can explain freeze response properly.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I can talk about this for a quick second. So I want to take a quick aside here to talk about um, the neurobiology of trauma, which I know this is why you're all here for this podcast, is to hear me talk about these things. Um, But so when we're experiencing any kind of danger, or we're um, exposed to any kind of trauma, or even something that's overwhelming or catches us off guard, our brain goes into um response mode, right? So the part of our brain that lights up when this is happening is the amygdala. That's our response. That's our, the trauma response part of our brain um and so what happens is that we have one of three responses um you've probably heard of fight or flight before um the one that we don't often talk about is a freeze response so freeze is an equally normal and valid response to trauma as fight and flight and what can happen when somebody has a freeze response is that they experience something that's called tonic immobility which is literally like temporary paralysis you cannot move you cannot talk you can't like scream for help so bella is very likely experiencing a freeze response here, um, which is a dissociative response, right? She's literally just laying on the ground in the middle of the woods, like unable to respond to anybody that's calling out for her, um, like aware of what's going on around her, but completely sort of unable to respond in any way.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Um, so yeah. So then Bella says at one point, um, interestingly, right after one of the Cooley, uh men that Charlie called in to help find Sarah. Uh, that she hears a snuffling animal noise near her. Uh, I wonder what that could be. Um, definitely not
1: foreshadowing.
0: No, because Stephanie Meyer is really subtle at that. Um, anyways, uh, eventually someone finds her and introduces and and sorry, I cannot talk and introduces himself. Uh, as Sam Yuli, is that what you're saying? I think his so. name? Yeah, makes sense. Uh, that says that Charlie sent him to find her, and when she doesn't respond, he just like picks her up off the ground and carries her. Well, not like in a way, like a, like a Colin family way, but like in a, he treks several times and she's like catatonic. And so then he picks her up. I just want to throw that out there because he's not being like
1: a dick. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, carries her out of the woods. Um, and Charlie has understandably just been worried out of his fucking mind because his daughter's been missing. And he's so relieved when Sam shows up with her that he insists on carrying her back to the house himself, um, which just breaks my heart into a thousand tiny pieces, because, like, poor Charlie in all of this. I feel like we don't really think enough about how this affects him. Um, yeah, he needs like, no one.
0: Or I guess he has I, people,
1: but... Mm. Well, I mean, I, well, I think, like, the person that he has is Billy, who, like, knows what's going on, and, and Charlie just doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't know anything about the supernatural goings on of forks washington um and i think also part of why this is so sad is that i'm just so unused to seeing anyone offer bella like genuine care and concern mm-hmm. um he later on in this chapter he like sleeps in the armchair next to her when she spends the night on the couch and it's so sweet that i kind of want to cry about it like he's just really protective of her i think in a way that in other situations i would probably find kind of paternalistic or overbearing but okay, this is Wait did really... you
0: say paternalistic? Wait. Yes. But, like, you
1: realize... Yes, I know that he is literally her dad. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I am aware of this. I mean, sort of, like, in the broader sense of the word. Um, But, like, I don't know. There's just something really, like, genuine about the way that he's written uh, that's not, like...
0: That he's being paternal?
1: Like (laughs) her father? You know what? (laughs) To the
0: child that Bella is? (laughs) I guess she's an adult now, technically.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's 18 years old. Time marches on inevitably towards death. Um, (laughs) So while I continue to be bowled over by any show of common human decency in this book, Charlie carries Bella home. The doctor's waiting there. He proceeds to ask her what happens while her living room is just, like, full of her classmates, their parents, and some yeah. guys from the reservation. Um, I also want to say that Bella describes oh, God. dudes from the reservation only as, and I quote, three tall men with dark faces. Nice job, Bella. I hate you. Um, the doctor tells Charlie that the Cullens are gone because Carlisle got a really generous offer to another hospital. Um, so I guess that's the story that they've been telling in town about why they left. So... At some point during the night, Bella hears Charlie get a call about some bonfires at the reservation. Um, and so Charlie calls Billy to try like, to figure out who is this bitch calling and being right, like, um, "Right, they're
0: partying up at the tunnel or
1: like up at I the mean,
0: reservation."
1: It's a white lady. The answer is that it's a white lady because it's always a fucking white lady. So I know Charlie calls Billy to try to find out what's going on, and um, he—it's Jessica's Billy... mom. Yes, it is Jessica's mom. Um, So. <laughs> Billy tells Charlie that the teens are out partying at the beach um, and that they have bonfires going because the Collins have left, Um, which I think is hilarious. But also, (laughs) must the white cop police Brown Joy, even in the fictional world of Forks, Washington? Really? I know. Well, he does at least, like, um,
0: I think he was just told there were fires and he calls and he's like, why are things on fire? (laughs) And then Billy's like, oh, it's not a fire. It's not like a forest fire. It's just like, the boys are partying. And he's like, Oh, what are they celebrating? And he's like, And now he's just like chatting with his friend. And then Billy's like, Oh, the Cullen's leaving. And he's like, Mom, we'll just tell those kids not to stay up too late, those fuckers. <laughs> like, he's like, Oh, this little bastard celebrating the Cullen's leaving. I'll, I'll fucking die for the Cullen's. Like, but <laughs> like, still, yeah. he's, he's definitely, you know, whatever. But like, like, fucking Mrs. Stanley I, I fucking braces I forgot, shit.
1: But like, I forgot that, um, that, that Charlie Swan is a, is a mark for the like, Collins. Did yes! I do it right? You did! Yes! Yes, bitch! Okay, um, I'm gonna ride that eye for a while.
0: Um, In case so, I didn't clip it into the <laughs> intro, uh, I taught Sahara the word mark earlier. <laughs> so...
1: Um, So Charlie finally asks Bello, what the fuck happened? Um, And she just deflects uh, and asks how he knew where to find her. And he holds up a note that Edward forged in her handwriting saying that they were going for a walk. Um, And then when Bella didn't come back, Carlisle called the Cullens, nobody picked up, so he called the hospital, and the hospital told him that the Cullens had left for LA, which is obviously a lie because we've established that the whole Cullen family looks like they're covered in more body glitter than white girls at Coachella when they're exposed to sunlight. Um, (laughs) So the fact that Edward left a note so Charlie would be able to find her also makes me wonder if he knew that Bella would just, like, stay in the woods and need to be rescued. That really confused me. Like, why would he write a note? Like, he knew that she was just gonna get lost out there, and if he knew that, why not be like was responsible he just and her? decent? I don't fucking know. Like, why not just break up with her at the house or something instead of leaving her alone in the fucking woods?
0: Did he, like, watch her until she passed out, and then he's like, well, I better go leave a note?
1: Yeah, like, why? I don't fucking know, man. So the last thing that we learn in this chapter, um, once Bella goes up to her room, is that Edward has literally removed every trace of himself so from Bella's fucked. life. So fucked. Like, he sneaks into her room after leaving her alone in the woods, steals all of the photos of him that she took, and the CD that he made her for her birthday, which is honestly rude as fuck. Um, it's so, so she, fucked up. It's like, like, you literally, this is just another way that he is gaslighting her. Like it's the biggest gaslight of all time destroy his whole existence. So she like falls to the ground and then essentially enters a four month-long dissociative period. Uh like that is literally what happens at the end of this chapter. It's represented by four pages in a row that have one word each on them and it's just the name of the months that are passing. Um and that is finally the end of this fucking marathon of a chapter. And
0: again, I find it wild that I know when I was a teenager I fucking bawled at this part. I remember distinctly like putting my book down. Because I couldn't, like, hold it anymore. Because, like, my limbs literally weren't working. Like, I think I literally had a cataplectic attack from this book. Because I had such a strong emotional response. And I just wept. I just wept. I remember feeling like my soul left my body. Like, I remember feeling like I was never going to be okay again.
1: Yes, I... This destroyed me. Like, I remember... Being at school the day after I read this chapter and a friend asking me, like, if I was okay, if something was wrong. And I was like, yeah, I just, like, read New Moon last night. I wonder like, if I was a friend. <laughs> it wasn't. I remember who it was, but I'm going to do her the favor of not saying her name on this podcast. <laughs> okay, that's, that's real. Um,
0: but, yeah, but as an adult, again, I felt like nothing at all. And, like, just it was just, like, October, November, December, January. And I was like, yep cool and my main thought was i'm glad that some of these 40 pages were just one word
1: yeah god i was so tired by the end of this chapter uh what was your favorite part
0: um it was very small Uh, it was on page 54 uh and he goes or it says he looked at the granola bar he was slowly pulverizing between his fingertips (laughs) and i fucking was like what because I imagine she means like turning it into like a literal powder. And I was just imagining this was like one of those really hard nature valley bars and it just like, made me like,
1: just crumble everywhere. It just
0: made me yeah, but like him like but parts of it that don't crumple are like really hard and I just yeah. was like imagining someone like it just felt like imagining someone purposefully stepping on a Lego. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> well, we have established that uh Edward Cullen is at some points a masochist, so
0: Yeah.
1: um uh, my favorite part of this chapter, um, is that at one point pretty early on when Bella's talking about how everything feels really weird between them, she says, change was coming. I could feel it. Uh, and all I could think of was Loser by Beck. and uh, that one line. Um, and then that made me think of the girl that we went to high school with who thought that she discovered Beck. Uh, oh my god. My mom fucking
0: roasted her so hard for that. My mom... I didn't even know that my mom knew who Beck was. My mom was just like, <laughs> okay. Like, my mom made fun of her for years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she deserved it.
0: Um, yeah, she I did.
1: I genuinely feel like a lot of that particular person's personality is a direct product of, like, the Twilight era of her teenage but years. Even
0: more especially, I distinctly remember that in acting class, the first monologue she did was, a, was fucking, um god what's her name the like manic uh like anorexic or bulimic one from skins
1: oh my god cassie cassie
0: (laughs) the first thing she did was cassie is like oh wow like oh my god fucking speech so like let's just skins and twilight though and their (laughs) effect on us as people are right up there so one has more drugs Sorry, one has actual oh. okay. One has uh gratuitous cough syrup abuse, <laughs> and the other one has gratuitous uh every other drug use.
1: Yeah, just so many, so many substances. So All can right, can I go
0: into chapter four? Because we fucking Please. This, this is a long ass episode. I'm so sorry. Please. Okay, so oh. after months of nothing, we we're given one page to start this chapter, and we're just gonna read it. I'm just gonna read it. Okay, mm-hmm. so time passes. Even when it seems impossible. Even when each tick of the second hand aches like the pulse of a blood behind a bruise. Which what the fuck? <laughs> That's not how bruises work. I've never felt the pulse behind a bruise. Anyways. It passes unevenly, in strange lurches and dragging walls, but pass it does. Even for me. Like thanks Bella, I kind of got that from the October, November, December, January. Uh, But I'm so glad that someone woke Bella up when January ended. Um, (laughs)
1: Um, I also think that there's something just, like, really unbelievably characteristic of a teen, of, like, teenage melodrama about this particular paragraph. Um, Like, especially the way that Bella says, like, oh, time passes, even for me. As though she'd suffered the most unbelievably terrible thing that could possibly be imagined. uh, And that it would truly be beyond the scope of imagination that she could ever continue to function normally. God.
0: So, the true Boko's chapter begins on the next page, uh, with Charlie slamming his nose on the table and yelling that he's going to send Bella home. And Bella, who has not paid attention to anything in literal months, is confused and upset by his outburst. And this part, honestly, fucking, her reaction to this breaks my damn heart. It's so, so sad. her immediate response is to be like, what I haven't done anything wrong. Like I have good grades, like I behave, like I'm always at home on time. And she literally ends it with thinking I only very rarely serve leftovers. Like like Bella is so desperately in need of therapy and help that she thinks that Charlie is upset because she is not of service to him.
1: Like it's so sad.
0: It it breaks my heart. And so Charlie explains that the problem is not that she did anything wrong, but that she has quite literally done nothing. In a month, and then he just wished. He said, "I wish you'd be miserable. You're not like I wish you'd be sad. Like you're just nothing. Like." And he comments. He comments in her flat affect, and like even goes so far as like I don't know, like compare to Kristen Stewart or something. (laughs) Um, Poor Kristen Stewart. So anyway, Charlie (laughs) continues on, and we come to a point in the conversation that this podcast has been waiting for for fucking hundreds of pages. This part filled us with so much energy that I got a fucking text from Sahana (laughs) that said, we gotta get an air horn sound effect, which I'm probably going to be too lazy to actually do,
1: so I'm just gonna
0: be like, So, okay. So, like, you're welcome. To all your ears right now. Um, but so now what we get here, I will tell you in Sahana's own words, the text that she sent me, sorry, the series of texts that she sent me, which I hadn't read the chapter yet, and I get these texts. Um also Sahana was definitely at work when I got these, because it was like six o'clock my time on a Friday. No, I was sitting in my car in the parking lot of my apartment building. That's so much worse. Anyway, <laughs> So I get this text Katie, Charlie tells Bella to go to
1: therapy. He holy shit Bella goes to therapy and Bella Bella's own damn self. <laughs> that is right folks. Charlie motherfucking good dad swan tries to tell Bella to consider seeking professional help and the heavens opened up and shined a light down upon me. <sighs>
0: Well, eventually, both of us. <laughs> you shined it back onto me, but the you, but the UV rays were absorbed by your moon rocks. <laughs> so, Bella, oh, God. unshockingly, responds with my biggest fucking pet peeve in the world. I don't understand this in modern media. In all modern media, fucking I know what happens in Pretty Little Liars. I know what happens here. I know what happens in every fucking time anyone ever says this. They always... Mm-hmm. Someone's like, go see a therapist. They're like, you want me to see a shrink? Bitch,
1: listen, I could talk Who about Who says the this word shrink? For no For days. No one. no one. Ever. I've
0: never, so, ever heard someone use this.
1: I, look, I... Kat is not lying about that text I sent them. I was fucking screaming. Because, like, okay, so first of all, this is the first good idea that anyone has had in this goddamn series. Um, like, I am honestly not even nearly as mad at Charlie as I normally would be for him sake. Like, he says this kind of, like, vaguely shamey shit. Like, he's like, oh, I handled it when your mom left, even though it was hard, but you're not handling this. Oh, see, I didn't um, picture it in that tone at all. I I mean, I don't think that I would assume that it was in that tone, but there's just something shamey about the fact that, like, I was able to handle a difficult emotion and you cannot. Um, but... Like, I'm willing to forgive that, uh, because I feel strongly that he has good intentions, and also, finally, finally, someone, canonically, has introduced therapy to Isabella Swan. Um, also, yes, why the fuck do characters in the media always refer to therapy as seeing a shrink? Because first of all, like, shrink almost always refers to a psychiatrist and people not understanding the differences between psychotherapy and psychiatry is honestly one of those things that makes me so irrationally annoyed like i know it's not their fault because there's not a lot of clarity about also, this also people
0: like, always act like therapy is some foreign concept like yes. bitch everyone i know goes to therapy
1: like, everyone i know is in therapy maybe it's not literally so but like
0: so many like people at my workplace will openly talk about going to therapy like it's not like to have I mean, I know this was, like, years ago, but still, like, it's not so taboo that people are, like, a, sh- a
1: therapist?
0: Uh, yes. What? How?
1: Like- and that, like, really is Bella's response. She's such a petulant bitch about this. Like, Charlie is really trying to make an earnest suggestion about something that would help his daughter, who he's had to witness in this depressive or, like, dissociative episode for the last four months, which is probably really, like, distressing and upsetting. And all she has to say is, like, wow, that's a terrible idea. Fuck you, dad um
0: although okay then the- i actually have like a lot okay i do want to interrupt here because i know that we talk about bella in like a wow what a dumb bitch kind of way all the time but actually i have okay i know that she responds in like a bitchy way but also she is a frightened teenager who has literally been drowning for months. And I remember very distinctly having a moment, like, again, like when I got out of my really, really, or wasn't out of it, when I was in my really, really abusive relationship and I was at home, and it was right before I went on a study abroad. And I remember laying in bed and I was just like Bella, honestly. I was just empty and just awful. And I remember my parents coming up and like kind of being like, we don't know if you should go on this trip. Like, we're scared for you. Like, we're worried for you. We've never seen you like this before. Like, we don't know what to do for you. And we're basically like, you should get help. And I was like, fuck you. I'm going on this trip. Like, how dare you say I'm not going to? And like, I like no, like, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. And that's like, all I wanted was just everyone to leave me the fuck alone. So like, yeah. even though like, I hear that like this part, like, it's like, oh, God, you're just being a little shithead. It's also like, I know where she is. And I actually think that. Meyer does, like, a weirdly good job.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that was... I hadn't considered that read on it, and I think that that's actually reasonable. Um, What I think is not reasonable uh, is that Bella Swan says... I didn't know a lot about psychoanalysis, yeah, but I was pretty sure it didn't work unless the subject was relatively honest. She sounds like a and fishy, old fucking... Like, yes, and, she, and then she says that she can't be honest unless she wants to spend the rest of her life in a padded prison cell. And there's so much that I need to unpack here, and I just, like, don't have a lot of time. So I will say two things, which is, A, that psychoanalysis is a kind of therapy, and pretty much nobody... At all does traditional Freudian psychoanalysis anymore? Like no one. Um, And second of all, what the fuck is Bella talking about? Like, uh, is this how people actually think inpatient like mental health treatment goes? Only in the media, I think. Put in a padded cell, like what? Jesus Christ. Um,
0: So, anyways, (sighs) I'm just gonna move on. Please. So after arguing about why she doesn't want to leave Forks and stating that she'll like she's like I'm gonna make plans tonight like just to shut Charlie up she's so, like I'm gonna lose with Jessica don't even worry about it Dad just leave me alone I'm gonna I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be a good daughter for you and so Bella runs off to school as quickly as possible and like some kind of fucking freak she just like gets to school early and then just starts reading her calculus book and like I can't think of a better indication Nightmare. honestly I can't think of a better indication that she needs therapy than getting to school early and purposefully reading your calculus book. But, and I loved calculus, Um, but the day goes on and eventually uh, she gets to calculus class, which uh, she shares with Jessica. And uh, as she mentioned at breakfast, Bella's determined to ask Jessica to hang out to get Charlie off her back so she can stay in forks. So it is revealed to us that Bella has not spoken to Jessica in like weeks or possibly months. Uh, Or anyone. Yeah, or anyone seemingly. Uh, cause she mentions, like, Mike checking with her every Friday to see if she's going to work tomorrow, and then her being like, yeah, it's Saturday, and him being like, okay, like, clearly trying to reach out to her, and her, like, not understanding or no. being able to reciprocate or anything. Um, so, yeah, but she hasn't spoken to her in weeks or months, despite the fact that she, like, sits next to her in class, and, like, presumably at lunch still. And so Bella considers, um, she, like, first considers, before she talks to her, pretending to go to Port Angeles to see a movie, uh, uh like, she pretends to go with her, or, like, considers that, uh, by just driving there herself so that, like, a would read correctly. But then she mentions that Mrs. Stanley is a gossipy bitch, as we already know. Uh, and there is no way she would get away with lying about it, which I, like, I think is hysterical. And, like, I love that family is just a bunch of gossipy bitches. I'm like, I want to be invited over for Christmas. Yes.
1: yes. I feel like this is what spending, uh, holidays with my family members is like, and it's honestly delightful. It kind of is, and I like it.
0: Um... <laughs> Uh after class is dismissed, uh Bella finally gets with the courage to speak to her and she so she's like, Hey, Jessica and Jessica's like, Are you talking to me, Bella? And like which is like, yes, be a snarky asshole, dude. So Bella asks her to go with uh to go to the movies with her and says that she could use a girl's night out. To which Jessica responds with like, Why the fuck are you asking me, bitch? Like, we ain't friends. And Bella's like mental response is so fucking bitchy and, like, just repugnant that I have to read
1: it out loud to y'all. It's so awful. I hate Bella so much in this moment. Okay, okay. So, she goes, okay.
0: You're the first person I think of when I want girl time. I smiled. I hope the smile looked genuine. It was probably true. She was at least the first person I thought of when I wanted to avoid Charlie. It amounted to the same thing. Like,
1: what the fuck, bitch? God.
0: So, right from the get-go, she's just fucking using Jessica and just being a Fucking cunt. Anyways, I mean,
1: she has. She has been using Jessica this whole time.
0: So Jessica, not... being a good person and not a cunt, uh, agrees to go. We're gonna get someone's gonna be mad at me for saying that. Uh...
1: <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> like, there are There's other things to be mad about. <laughs> yeah. So
0: yeah, be mad at the right thing, you fuckers. <laughs> like. <laughs> so she agrees to go see a zombie movie with Bella uh, that night, and like she even generously offers to drive. Um, so Which is Abby, very nice of her. It is because you can tell like for me like her, Jessica's response is like oh she's actually reaching out like okay well you know she's doing the big thing we're reaching out she I know she's having our time um, I'm going to like try to reciprocate even though I'm like hurt by her actions like she's really like she's being a good friend so was Mike so was everyone. Yeah. Anyways so after school Bella tries to remember how to function like a normal human being and she like opens up the closet to like find an outfit or a purse or something. And we're treated to the biggest holy shit go to oh, therapy yeah. moment. This is oh the chapter for me even bigger than the Charlie's straight ass saying like it out loud. She mentions that there's a garbage bag that she mm-hmm. like doesn't look at that's under some clothes, mm-hmm. and that inside of the garbage bag in the closet is a is the radio that was gifted to her by the Cullens, like the one that was in her car, like that they had replaced in her truck. Yes. And she states, "I didn't think of the bloody mess my nails had been when I finished clawing it out of the dashboard. Like, what the fuck? Just what the yeah. fuck?
1: It's so fucked up. And I think, honestly, the other thing that's fucked up about this is the fact that she still has it. It's like, so why disturbing. does she still have the bag? If she's I really to pretend it's real, right? Like, I think that's the thing that she's that like that is what helps her ground sort of like fight this gaslighting. Is that like?" She's really trying to pretend that Edward, like, I don't think she's trying to pretend that he never happened. I think she's, like, not trying to think about him. Um, But I think the other thing is that this this is, like, in the middle of this, like, really fucked up sort of moment, we also get sort of an important, like, glimmer of plot, which is that this is the moment at which I think we know for sure that he's going to come back at some point, because otherwise, why would she have held on to his shit? Yeah, I think, like, that's, that's also sort true. of, like, hope for us as the reader that at some point he's coming back.
0: That's true, because, like, he hasn't been completely erased from memory or whatever. So, yeah. anyways, so, after being treated to that, like, horrific fact, uh, Meyer just jumps into an awkward car ride. I said Meyer. Bella. Just... <laughs> well, I guess Meyer jumps us into it. Um, so Bella's in this, like... God damn, Okay. So for the trillionth time, we see that Bella has no concept of how to interact with other humans and is constantly trying to manipulate them for her own benefit. So, like, Bella tries, like, it's literally just her trying to find a topic to get Jessica talking. Like, she's just completely at her own self-interest. She, like, just puts on, like, rap music. Uh, she's, like, she says, it's, like, something innocuous. And then Jessica's like, you like this? She's like, yeah, that's, like, this really weird part that is only included because Stephanie Meyer is probably racist. And, yep. like, it's, she just needs to remind us of it. And yeah. it's super weird. And anyways, so, or th- at least the Stanleys are racist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we knew that already because Jessica Stanley's mom uh, so just called showing us Charlie to just showing police us, Brown Joy.
0: They're just showing us that Jessica is too by being like, you like rap music? Yeah. You mean like anyway. Eminem? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> anyways. Whatever. Oh, I guess maybe, maybe she's just, you know what it was? Mm-hmm. Jay-Z in Lincoln Park <laughs>
1: <laughs> Numb Slash Encore dude Anyways
0: <laughs> So she just like literally is like I tried to get her to talk with something but she wasn't interested in talking about it So fuck well I'm gonna try something else And like she just sits there and just manipulates her Into finding something that just gets her talking So then she can immediately start ignoring her She's like I just need her to talk so I can stop listening And so like, I don't God. be engaged um, and so finally they get to the movies, and Poe was upset to find that there's, like, a romantic element prior to the zombie apocalypse that was happening in the film. Um, but, like, right before the end of this movie, because eventually it turns into just, like, zombie murder, zombie murder, zombie. And then she's like, fuck, I recognize myself in this. I'm the zombie.
1: <laughs> yeah, and she literally says that this catches her off guard. She's like, um, even though it's not like I hadn't once dreamed of becoming a mythical monster— I never dreamed of uh, becoming a grotesque animated corpse, um, which I think is incorrect because I feel like grotesque animated corpse is pretty much precisely how I would describe Edward huh. Cullen.
0: So Belle is so disturbed by the fact that she, like, leaves the movie during the last few minutes and, like, Jessica's like, what the fuck are you doing? she's like, I'm gonna go get- I'm gonna go pee. I'm gonna pee on her. Like, like it's like Scott Pilgrim, like, I'm gonna pee on her. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, and so then she thinks, like, oh, God, I'm the zombie. I'm not the heroine anymore, which is, like, so weird and telling of her own perception of, like, her relation with Edward. Like, she quite literally views herself as, like, this insane sense of self-importance, but only in the context of relationship, which is, like, her entire sense of self-worth was balanced upon that relationship. Oh, and yeah. now that she's outside of it, she, like, thinks of herself as, like, nothing. Yep. And I think this has a lot to do with her familial relationships, like, especially her mom, but there's just so much to unpack that, like, I don't know where to start, so we're going to skip it. It's Just
1: so gonna much. move on. It's, so, we'll, uh, we'll hang on to it for the Patreon. <laughs>
0: so Jessica comes out after the movie, and Bella lies and says uh, that she was just, like, scared at the end. That's why she ran out. And so they leave the theater to go eat, um, and after being lost in her own thoughts for the first part of, like, they're just, like, walking somewhere. And then Bella suddenly realizes that, like, Jessica seems tense. And so Bella looks around and, like, notices that they're, like, in kind of, like, a dark part of the street, and they're heading towards McDonald's. Um, which, like, shout out to the fact that they are teenagers going to, like, a reasonable place to eat instead of, like, a fucking, like, five-star restaurant. Like, yep. Meyer gets some parts of the teen experience right, and that teen experience is going to McDonald's. So instead for-
1: of going to the knockoff Olive Garden in Port Angeles. Yeah.
0: So, anyway, Bella sees uh, across the street that there's an open bar called One-Eyed Pete's, and the oh, first reaction would- we get from her is, like, oh, there's a hidden pirate theme inside. It's, is, like, it's like, fucking hysterical. Like, she, that bitch is just, like, I wonder what the decor is like. And then she's like, "Oh wait, there's four men standing outside of the bar and that's probably why Jessica's quick walking." God. Um and like as a side note, I find it interesting that Meyer like always shows these teen girls as being intimidated and weary uh, when out and about in the streets, um, uh, because it's accurate, and this attention yes. to detail and context is, like, not something I come to expect from her, and, like, one thing I remember her saying, like, in it was, like, on page 109, um, and she goes, there was an indefinite implied kind of menace to these men that had nothing to do with that, uh, uh that other night, which we'll explain later, um, it sprung from the fact that they are strangers, and it was dark here, and they outnumbered us, nothing more specific than that. And, like, that's such an accurate appraisal of what it's like to be out the street as, like, a woman or anyone, really, who has some sort of identity that puts them at risk. Like, whether that means, like, I would, I mean, I can only speak to some of them. But, like, whether you're being, like, for me, it's, like, a woman or being gay. Like, those things both make me feel this way. And I imagine, like, I can't speak to your experiences.
1: Yeah, but but I think, I think you're right. Like, I think that there is something that feels really, like, unexpectedly correct in like, Stephanie Meyer's description of this, like, universal experience of just, like, being preyed on, Mm -hmm. uh,
0: or, like, or, or even when you're not actively having anything violent or, like, specific happen, or just, like, or just, just like, the 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 hyper-vigilance
1: that comes with having a marginalized identity, like, you just always have to be on guard. Yeah, so anyways, yeah, so that, um, so, yeah, so Bella eventually notices these dudes across the street. Um, and this is honestly maybe a good place for us to briefly talk about trauma memory because this is another thing that Stephanie Meyer somehow gets closer to right than anything else in this franchise. Um, and so she, Bella says explicitly, um, and I, like, I'm like i pulling this quote right from the text, she says, my body remembers better than my mind did. Um, and this is actually precisely what happens when our brains are responding to danger. So I talked a little bit earlier about the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that goes online when we're responding to danger or trauma. Um and what happens is Wait that real quick, amygdala... I feel like
0: we skipped something that's giving that's gonna make this confusing without context. I feel like we didn't say I don't think we mentioned that like Bella thinks about this reminding her
1: Yeah, so she says she says explicitly that like this reminds her of the experience that she had the last time she was in Port Angeles, which for those of you who don't remember, she was like trying to walk from a bookstore uh, back to where she was meeting her friends for dinner. Uh, and a group of I think like four or five men were very four men. clearly, yeah. um, like trying to assault her. And then Edward showed up and saved her. Whatever. Anyways, yes. Yeah, um, and so she's talking about how like her body remembers that experience and it like reacting in the same way. Um, which is precisely what happens when we experience a trauma. So the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that like is gives us access to like logic and meaning and memory making, goes offline when we're experiencing trauma. And the things that we remember are the ways that our body reacts, right? So we have sort of we like grab on to really sort of like random pieces of the experience that we're having and they get stored in our brain in ways that we don't always have access to until something reminds us of that moment. And even if it's not the same experience our brain thinks that we're in danger again and then throws us back into our trauma response, which is exactly what happens for Bella because right after she says this thing about her body remembering, she goes on to describe a bunch of body-based fight responses to trauma. So she talks about like her muscles tightening and her throat gets really dry and she starts to get the chills. And all of these things are ways that our body responds when it's getting ready to like fight because there's something dangerous.
0: God, Um, I'm having so much... I'm like processing that whole fucking freshman year of college relationship through this fucking reading <laughs> of New Moon right now. So I just remember the time that his sister came into Subway when I was working and I just fucking like lost my shit. Like I realized yep. it was, I remember the moment I realized it was her and like everything became more intense and like suddenly mm-hmm. it was like I was like hyper aware of everything going like around me and I felt like I was like floating above my body and I had to go. Yeah. And I nearly passed out. Like I just started like my entire body was tense and I was like, I have to run right now. Yeah.
1: So like that is your brain not understanding like where you are, what's happening anymore, thinking that you're back in the dangerous situation that you've been in before, even if like you're safe and secure and like that fight or flight, or freeze part of your brain gets activated and is trying to keep you safe, right? And so, like, Bella even says that despite the fact that this is a different street, a different night, like, different men, her brain is throwing her back into the moment that she was nearly attacked in Port Angeles the last time she was there. And again, I want to remind us that this happened less than a year ago. She says over and over again that the last time that she was in Port Angeles and, like, afraid that something like this was going to happen, it was less than a year ago.
0: Yeah. wild so bella says that she doesn't also real quick actually before i say what bella says all i can think about right now with this episode because it's so serious and clinical and informative and educational is when moral oral got canceled and uh the people from adult swim like met with the creators and they're like this is not the show you sold us (laughs) (laughs) that's what i feel like right now like y'all are coming here and you're like where are my edging jokes what about the car crash fetish? And we're like, Bella's too distracted to understand she's in a car.
1: I'm sorry. That's really where we are at this point.
0: Bella's sex drive is so low that not even a car crash can get her going. (laughs) Because of the
1: trauma. Oh boy.
0: Anyways, so so now back to what Bella said. She says that she like doesn't understand why, but the nebulous threat that the men uh presented drove uh her towards them because it's the first time she's felt like anything in four months. And so um she says that she like couldn't imagine anything in the world that there is left to be afraid of. And so apparently Belle's lack of self preservation instinct has persisted. Uh but it's also maybe worth pointing out here that the risk taking behavior is a trauma response, but you know, like that's neither here nor there, I guess. Yeah, we and don't, so, it
1: is what it is. <laughs> definitely
0: don't need any therapy. So out of nowhere, Bella fucking just hears Edward's voice in her head telling her to stop being a fucking idiot and go back to Jessica. And
1: understandably, she's fucking bewildered. But quickly, like, this is wild that this happens, and it comes out of nowhere.
0: I still don't know how to respond to it. Like, I literally don't know how to respond to this. Like, I got to this point, and I and then I'll get to it later. So anyways, um... <laughs>
1: So she is hearing Edward Cullen's voice, and I will remind you, she has spent four months actively suppressing any memory or reminder of him. So, yeah.
0: So she's just bewildered, but quickly realizes that, like, Edward's not actually there. So she must be having, like, a hallucination that's being triggered by the, like, familiarity of this dangerous situation. And Bella's guess about what's actually going on here is, like, surprisingly lucid. Um... And I kind of want to just, like, read it directly from the text, because that's what I'm doing a lot of tonight. Um, So, option one is, in her words, that she's going crazy. uh, And she says that option... She even says it's a layman's term for, like... Which I thought was funny. Um, But anyways, she says that option two is that my subconscious mind was giving me what I thought... What I thought I wanted. This was wish fulfillment, a momentary relief from pain by embracing... Um, he cared whether I lived or died. Projecting what he would have said if a he were here and b he would be in any way bothered by something bad happening to me, which like who thinks like this at all? No. Bella Swan's thoughts like this that was verbatim from the book, y'all. Like that's what Bella's thinking. Like my like, like subconscious so like, mind is giving me what it, it's wish fulfillment. Like whatever.
1: Like who in this moment has a reaction that's not like holy shit, what the fuck is happening to me?
0: No she's wondering she's like she explains what wish fulfillment
1: is to herself
0: which i think is hilarious because there's no specific audience for this book in the narration style anyways so um basically she says that her subconscious mind is giving her what she wants as a way to soothe some of the pain of loss
1: um i i'm honestly a little annoyed that even in this moment bella swan manages to not like other girls herself um Like, she literally says, like, oh, option one is that I'm crazy, but option two is that my subconscious mind is giving me a manifestation of something that allows me to protect myself from pain. And it's like, it almost feels like, oh, most people that hear voices are crazy, but I'm experiencing a totally understandable manifestation of my subconscious desire, as though that's not often the understandable explanation for auditory hallucinations in other cases. Like, I feel like she rationalizes her own experience and still continues to say, like, but I'm the only one that that's true for.
0: Like, what does she mean by crazy? Like... I don't know. Anyways, so... Like, what's the function... Like, how's it functionally different? Like, anyway, so Bella explains that she's not allowing herself to think of Edward at all as a way to avoid pain. And that she's chosen to numb herself instead. And she finds herself grateful uh, now that she's suddenly able to hear Edward's voice. Uh, But then it's, like, disappointment as it starts to fade because she realizes, like, oh, those guys aren't the guys from the, um, you know, the initial day. I'm, like, whatever. I'm not actually in any danger here. Or something like that. And, um, but she takes another step towards the dudes of the bar, like, to test it. Um, and she realizes that the closer she gets to danger, the stronger the voice gets. So she's comforted by, like, the false fabricated evidence that he cares about her well-being, as she states it. And so the men of the bar call out to Bella, and she walks towards them to see if they're the same men. Or, like, something at this point. I don't remember. Whatever. She walks towards them. And they offer to buy her a drink, and she says, like, I'm too young. And as soon as she... And- by the way, as a reminder, Jessica's just standing there being like, Bella, Yeah, please, Jessica's God, just standing in the middle stop. of the street. Why are you talking to them? Well, this fucker's just like, I'm too young to drink. And like, and I know that she's not, that's not what's going on in Bella's mind. But for Jessica's perspective, it's just her friend, kind of, randomly stopping, which we'll, I'm going to get to in a second more because it really bothers me. Yes. And so she soon recognizes that they're not like the same men and like the threat evaporates and then she just like loses interest.
1: Yeah. So like... She, as soon as she realizes that there's no actual threat or, like, danger, she's no longer interested in approaching these men anymore, and she just, like, fucking leaves.
0: Yeah. It was wild. Um, also, there was this moment where, um, Jessica asks her if she's, like, suicidal. Yes. Which I want to mention. She's like, are you suicidal? And Bella's like, no, I'm not. And she's like, my voice sounded very defensive, but it was true. I wasn't suicidal. Even in the beginning, when death unquestionably would have been relief, I didn't consider it. I owed too much to Charlie. I felt too responsible for Renee.
1: I had to think of them. And, like, we could unpack that part for Yo. days. I... You know what, honestly, the worst part of reading that for me is that I was like, "Well, uh, at least she has protective factors, like I feel like I'm doing a risk assessment on Bella Swan. The
0: fact that she owes Charlie and feels responsible for Renee says a lot about their family dynamic, yeah, it's a lot. So after this oh, incident, God. Bella turns back to Jessica and just like acts like nothing happened, oh, and they simply God. just go to McDonald's, where Jessica is visibly upset and uncomfortable the entire time, and Bella's even like, "Yeah." Um, I bet she wishes we took her car so we could go through the drive thru. Um Yeah. And like I'm
1: sure she does.
0: And she's like, Oh, I must have really offended her. And like, bitch, this is not an offensive situation. You put both of you in danger. And I know that Bella's going through some like crazy trauma responses right now, but can we talk about what a terrible friend she is to Jessica? Like she's acting yes. in the exact Oh my god. In the exact same way that Edward does to her. Like putting her in a bad situation, yes. not checking in with her afterwards at all, and even downright yes. ignoring or even gaslighting her to like even though Bella acknowledges in her brain that the situation wait, wait, was even fucked up. Though-
1: She knows, like, honestly, I, as like a very nervous and timid and risk averse friend all through middle school, and honestly, also part of high school, I very often got dragged into risky shit by my friends. uh, And it always made me super uncomfortable. And so I feel this like kinship with Jessica in this moment, because Bella truly does not give a shit about anybody but herself is not paying attention to the fact that her friend is like really uncomfortable and very scared. And I think that this is a really good place for me to talk about how we can acknowledge that someone's behavior might be coming from a place of traumatic dysfunction. Like, yes, we know that Bella is seeking out risk and threat because it is like allowing her to access some kind of subconscious coping mechanism. However, that does not give her a free pass on how those actions affect other people. Like, she is still responsible for putting her friend in danger and making her super uncomfortable. Like, Jesus fucking Christ, Bella, take some responsibility and stop being an asshole to your friend.
0: It's like all those people on, like, Twitter or Tumblr who are like, um... I'm sorry, I'm mentally ill and it's like, yeah, bitch me too. Like, what else you got? Like,
1: <laughs> like don't you you can't treat people like shit. Okay. God. So,
0: on the car ride home, Bella reflects on the voice she heard in her head and she thinks to herself that all she needs to do now, like all she needs to survive is to know that Everett existed, which is like different than I thought she was going to like originally think. She was she's like I never needed him to stay with me forever, which was like surprising. But she's like, I just need to know that it really happened, which I can kind yeah. of understand because I would feel fucking nuts if, like, this happened and I had no proof of it. Um, yes. And so she explains that she, the reason she's staying in Forks is not because she thinks he's going back. She's like, of course he's not. No one's coming back. Um, but rather because she was afraid that if she leaves, it'll be harder to convince herself that he was ever real. And this God. shows, like, just how fucked up Edward's legitimately, like, ultimate gaslight was of totally removing all images and memories from her life like it's so fucked up of him to do he had no right to do that and it deeply upsets me it's really fucked up so when she gets home bella notes that jessica seems to be getting more upset rather than like getting over it which again which of course she is which again yeah like it upsets me because bella has done absolutely no work to make the situation anything better nor has she considered jessica's feelings at all Bella used Jessica during this entire situation, like right from the beginning, and has no empathy for her. None at all. So Bella then like walks in, Charlie's like, where the fuck were you? And she's like, I told you, I was going to the movies with Jessica. And he's like, what? And but then he like, she's like, is that okay? And he's like, he seems to see something that she like suddenly feeling stuff. And he's kind of just surprised. So he just pretty much lets her go. And so Bella goes upstairs and, like, once in the comfort of her own room, begins to sob for what may be, like, the first time in months, I think.
1: Yes, like, I think this is the first time she's allowed herself to access any kind of emotion. Yeah, at
0: all. and, like, one last quote, I guess. Um, So the chapter closes with, um, it didn't feel like the pain had weakened over time, rather that I'd grown strong enough to bear it. And, like, I have a lot of thoughts about this part. Like, I was reflecting on, like, my, like, death, loss, and grief, like, perspectives. And, like, honestly,
1: like, I feel like ambiguous loss, like, could play a huge role in this situation. Yes. And I have actually been thinking a lot about this also because I talk to clients all the time about how, as a culture, we really, like, don't create enough space to grieve the loss of relationships that aren't ended because of death. Um, Like, we don't really think about having to grieve those losses in the same way that we grieve when people die. And I think that ambiguous loss is especially important here because of what, exactly what Bella says earlier in the chapter about how she doesn't want to think about Edward, but she also can't bear the idea of forgetting him or feeling like she tricked herself into thinking that he existed.
0: Yeah, I was thinking a lot about, like, ambiguous loss in the terms of, like, like disenfranchised grief, uh. So which means, like, for people who, like, can't figure that out or don't know what it is um it basically is the idea that like it's like grief that other people like don't recognize or like don't yes so like it could be so one example of this was i i'll give one from my own life that i talked about in class like you know how like like as someone who is bisexual and like when i used to be in a monogamous relationship i kind of felt like grief or like the loss of like this other like is like my who i am and my being when mm-hmm. i would be with someone like no matter what their gender was and like that's like really disenfranchised like it's not something you can talk about even like really in like the gay community is not really talked about very much like and i was like yeah it's like this kind of like disenfranchised grief like i can't really i have no outlet for this like no one recognizes this as something that is a loss um and so in this perspective um Like, from the outside perspective, like, Bella just, like, lost a high school boyfriend. Like, no one really gives a shit about that. But, like, in the reality, it's... It's actually, like, the loss of this, like, entire different world that exists for her. Like, the existence of vampires, the possibility of this entire life she could have had. Like, it has all been taken away from her. And, like, even her memories have been stolen, in a sense, with Edward stealing all of her photos and memorabilia. Like, the sense of, like, just, like, even just the sense of, like, rationality has been, like, taken from her. And, like, right. that's like, this really disenfranchised grief that she's experiencing. Because everyone else, like, the doctor... When he was like, oh, yeah, you know, they didn't, t- you know, the McCall didn't tell him when they were leaving. Uh, They didn't want to make a big to-do. And Charlie's like, oh, well, we could have used some notice. And he's like, yeah, I guess in this situation we could have,
1: like, uh, Right, and I think that, like, part of this also is that this experience is deeply isolating for her, right? Like, I think that part of that is absolutely the fact that Edward has intentionally isolated her from everybody else in her life. So when he leaves, she has a nobody. But I think that, like, In a situation where it was just the loss of a high school boyfriend, maybe even if the relationship was really intense, that was something that she could have talked about and someone would have understood. But there's so much more going on here that she literally can't tell anyone. And so she's holding all of this information about literally like all of this supernatural shit and all of this trauma that she's been through. And the only person, the only like people that knew the reality of her experience of being almost fucking eaten by a vampire Less than a year ago, honestly, at this point, probably like four months ago, it was in are May. this group of people who have now
0: oh, wait, left which time her you life. Mean, I guess,
1: yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um, but so, like, she's just holding all of this really sort of like confusing, scary, isolating shit, and is is dealing with with the grief of like losing access to the only other people that understand that part of her life. Yeah, so it's a lot. <laughs> Um, but that is the end of the chapter. Um, and I have one thing left that I want to say about this chapter, which is that I feel as though Stephanie Meyer should compensate me for my clinical labor in reading (laughs) this novel, or that I should get to count the hours that I spend reading New Moon towards my licensure, because I genuinely feel like... I was able to perform a full psychosocial assessment on Isabella Swan reading this chapter. Like, by the time I was done reading this, all I could think about was the fact that Bella Swan literally meets the DSM qualifications for a traumatic stress disorder. Like, to the um, point where I wondered if
0: Stephanie Meyer,
1: like, looked it up. Yes, I I wonder if Stephanie Meyer, like, read the DSM while writing this chapter. It's because, because it felt um, so
0: weirdly armed. Um,
1: Yes, and what I will say is that in general, I think that the DSM is complete garbage, and it does a lot more harm than good, and it pathologizes people, Um, but for the sake of doing some pure clinical social work, um, I want to get into this for a second. So when we look at the DSM criteria for giving somebody a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, there are four categories of symptoms, Um, re-experiencing, avoidance of internal or external reminders of trauma, negative changes in mood or brain function, and hyperarousal. Um, so Bella is experiencing symptoms in all four of these categories. So in terms of experiencing, she mentions very briefly but it's in there that she's been having nightmares about uh, Edward and the things that they went through together. Um, in terms well, and, of avoidance, and
0: also just when she sees those four
1: men and she immediately... Right. Also, that's a trauma flashback. So that's we're experiencing as well. Um, and then in terms of avoidance of internal external reminders of trauma, this whole chapter talks about how Bella has been avoiding any reminder of Edward. She doesn't let anybody in her life talk about she him. She won't even think his name. So, like she, yes, yeah, she won't even think his name. So she's both internally and externally avoiding any reminders of loss. Um, in terms of negative changes in mood or brain function, like we really are told like four straight months of flat affect and disengagement. She has had like just a completely neutral like numbed out affect, um and also she has like decreased interest in any interaction with anybody right charlie and and uh Jessica say that she mm-hmm. hasn't done anything in months um and then, in terms of hyper arousal, like she's irritable, she's having frightening dreams, she talks about her senses feeling unusually intense after she hears Edward's voice. Um, Also, she's so activated anytime anything even remotely reminding her of Edward comes up. Like, if we remember in the Mm -hmm. beginning of this chapter how she responds to Charlie when he brings up Edward's name, it's just, like, this immediate, like, hyper, like... Yeah, it's just a a lot of emotion comes up and she immediately tries to suppress it. Um, But the only other thing required for a DSM diagnosis of PTSD is persistence of symptoms for over a month. And we get a very dramatic visual indication right at the top of that second chapter with those four pages representing the months that these symptoms have lasted four months. Um, The other thing that I wanted to touch on is that there's actually growing recognition for the inclusion of psychotic symptoms and trauma diagnoses. Um, And so obviously we... you know Bella tells us that she's literally experiencing auditory hallucinations of Edward's voice and so her hallucinations are directly associated with several traumatic events that she's experienced um and auditory hallucinations of a loved one specifically um can be like a way that our brain tries to help us cope with like the overwhelming intensity of emotions when we're having a trauma response. Um, I actually did some research as I was reading this. So there's a 2015 oh, wow. study from the NIH that talks about how the content of hallucinations can be directly related to traumatic events that somebody has experienced. I'm going to end up so reading like, the
0: study, aren't I?
1: Yeah, probably. I linked it in my notes. Maybe it'll be my
0: thing I tweet about that Like I was curious about.
1: is uh the comorbidity of auditory hallucinations and acute trauma that's that's gonna be the thing that I'm curious about now (laughs) um yeah but I think again interestingly this study came out in 2015 and this book was written long before that so it's wild to me like how like correct a lot of this is it actually Um, makes me
0: nervous for Stephanie Meyer like what happened in her life
1: (laughs) yeah um, what was your... Do we
0: need to... No, wait. I want to hear... No. Don't even ask this question. I need to end. I need everyone to end with some levity, so I want to end with my
1: favorite part of Okay. This. Okay. Because it's the I best part, and I know that it's it the is, best part. It is. the best part. I am honestly very excited. It was my It was my favorite part of the chapter also, but I'll let you have it. So my second favorite part of the chapter is that when Bella's is deciding what movie... When she's talking to Jessica about what movie to watch, she says, How about the one with the female president? <laughs> I don't know what about that. It's so funny to me. Who do, but you, it think, just, who like, do you think seems... played
0: played the female
1: president? What year was this what year did this book come out? Reese uh, it was definitely Reese Witherspoon. It might be too early, actually. This book came out in two thousand six.
0: So maybe not Reese Witherspoon. She might have been too young still. So.
1: We'll put it on the Twitter. Hey, Twitter, tell us who you think played the female president in the movie that was in theaters uh, in, in 2006. 2006. Um, please, God, tell me, what was your favorite part of this chapter?
0: <laughs> it's our favorite part of this chapter, which we know because I freaking we texted each other about it. Um, That's very good. was on page 99. And Bella goes... Just talk about English glass, and she goes. We we're working on an Animal Farm, an easy subject matter. I didn't mind communism. Yes, thank you, Comrade Bella Swan and Comrade Meyer. Bella Swan me is up, canonically anti-capitalist. Go meet up with Tan. Talk about communism. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I think well, communism is
0: misunderstood.
1: <laughs> I love Tan France, I love. Uh, and that is. I love what that. i have to say about this uh thanks for hanging in there with us on this here episode of summer twilight book club it's been a real roller coaster we hope you learned a lot yeah yeah honestly like why get a social work degree when you can listen to our podcast
0: that's real i'll save you fifty thousand um, dollars all right we love you um but we no will... wait no real quick we have to we have to plug things, sahana
1: Oh, we have to plug things. We have to plug ourselves. Listen, go to our
0: Twitter. We've talked about it so much. It's at STBC podcast. We won't read all the cool stuff off next week. So if you don't follow us, uh, you're just going to miss out. So sucks to your asthma.
1: Um, (laughs) And... um we're on a really amazing network um with a bunch of really wonderful other podcasts so please yeah. check out @orangegrow. If you, pay, on the Orange if you pay for
0: the Patreon, you can hear uh my boyfriend Chris and our friend Joe talk about fucking Neon Genesis.
1: <laughs> uh, in yeah, a in a pilot, case you need a some pilot, levity
0: uh, yeah, because we all know that Neon Genesis is gonna provide a lot of levity. Um, <laughs> if you need some levity, go listen to fucking anything else probably on the network. But, um, anyways, we're gonna leave now because I'm fucking tired. It's one in the morning. I
1: I feel like I have run. It's a one full in the morning. Marathon. For me. It is. It is. 10.08 p.m. and I need to go wash my goddamn hairs. So I will see you all next time on Summer Twilight Book Club. We love you. Good night. night. Good luck. Bye. Goodbye. Oh.